Oh, boy. Maybe I should have rinsed my nose out with liquids before we started. Oh, you want a netty? It's it's too late. It's fine. <laughs> I was stuffy the first couple weeks. And I still feel like I always sound kind of scratchy, but that's just no, how I talk. It's the beautiful alto tone of your voice. Hello. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to You Know What I've Been Wondering. I'm Jane. I'm Sarah. How you guys doing? <laughs> <laughs> we'll wait for you to answer. Mm-hmm. Oh. Oh. Oh, sorry about that. Oh, that sounds really rough. I'm sorry. Well, lot, sounds like you got a lot to look forward to. Yeah. Uh, so, Sarah, how was yours? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for skipping right to how's, how's my day, because you know I shaded you in the last episode. I'm trying to be a better friend. <laughs> no, you're really good about asking me about my day in real life, just not when we're in a scripted context. <laughs> Um, my day was okay. It's only Thursday, so one more day left of the work week. You we know, can do it. We can do it. We, we can, can do it. Through. And then I got a th- I got a three day weekend. I'm taking off work on Monday, yes. so it's gonna be it's gonna be really good. It's been a special week at my job at school because parents have been coming, which has been really sweet and really mm-hmm. cute. And tomorrow they're coming to observe my class, which makes me nervous, but it'll be fun. I'm sure you'll be great. How was your day, Jane? Uh, my day was good. I got to help teach um, a Broadway-bound class, which is acting, singing, dancing. And the kids did a really cute dance to Newsies and Kinky Boots. Oh, my goodness. And they were. we also had parents in the class today, so the kids were all on their best behavior for their parents, which is not something that's necessarily been happening right. all week when the class when the parents come <laughs> oh, into the no. classes. On Thursdays, I'm at one school that I'm not at other days of the week, and there's this one little girl there who is obsessed with me and will, like, not let go of my hand for a lot of the day and just, like, though I try to be like, go, go live your life, but she'll, like, be by my side. And today, she was like, I don't like that you're only at my school one day a week. I want you to be where I am always. Oh. And I almost cried. Oh, that's so sweet. Anything for you. I felt so bad because I'm I've been really sick this week. I literally was knocked out on Tuesday. I just slept the whole Mm -hmm. day, but I tried to go to work at my school and I showed up in thirty minutes in. I couldn't do it. But that meant some of the kids saw me before I left and they all were like, Where are you going? And I was like, (laughs) I have to go home and sleep. They're like, But our parents are coming. I'm like, they can come without me being here. Like until they were like, But what will we do? (laughs) As if there aren't other adults there who will tell them what to do it was really sweet and then when i came back on wednesday a couple one of the girls was like um yesterday when you were out because you were sick i just i just wanted you to know that i did a really good job cleaning up because <laughs> <laughs> she was worried no one else was going to give her a star on the star chart <laughs> which i relate to needing to get that reward for good behavior <laughs> i have this one student who uh weeks ago i brought some stickers to school and I gave them to some kids at the end of the day. Um, and I hadn't seen this student in a couple of weeks. It's an after school program. They don't necessarily come every day. Um, but he came and he saw me and he went, so remember that one time you had stickers? <laughs> 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 and I went, yes, I remember. And he went, do you think you'll, you'll ever bring him again? <laughs> And I was like, oh, actually, like, I think they're still in my purse. So if 
you guys are good i could probably give you more stickers today and he just like like <laughs> took that knowledge into himself and his eyes got really wide and was just like okay <laughs> and then like walked away like, <laughs> All right, I need to be on my best behavior because I want a sticker. <laughs> they will do anything for a sticker. So, Jane, you so know sad. what I've been wondering? What have you been wondering? It's a good thing we poured wine for this. So, <laughs> last week I asked you, what goes into the funding of Trump's trips to Mar-a-Lago? Like, where does that money come from? How is that delegated? Well, um, you didn't phrase it exactly like that. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) so that's not exactly what I read. Oh, what did you look up? (laughs) Um, I just really looked into cost. Um, I didn't totally find out exactly where it comes from, but (laughs) you know, government funding. Um, What? I wanted to know how my tax dollars were being distributed, Jane. Well, that I can tell you. I can tell you how it's being used. Just I thought I can't tell you the exact government process of like exactly how much of your money is it. But presumably it's like entirely coming from taxpayers. But right. I like I got to pull up the chart. There's some chart that's like where our taxpayers are mostly going to and most of it is military. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's insane. Like 70% the NEA gets like $1.50 per person or something like that. It's crazy. Oh, my gosh. I forgot to tell you. I was in a meeting today, and we were devising a curriculum for special education students, and we started talking about ASMR, and I was like, I know all about that. <laughs> they were like, what does it stand for? And I was like, autonomous sensory meridian response. response. <laughs> Duh. Okay, so according to this chart... Um, 49% of our tax dollars go to military, uh, 6% go to interest, 5% go to veterans benefits, 13% go to social security, 9% go to income security, 1% goes to healthcare, and 14% goes to that everything else. I just throw my mouth a little bit. 1% goes to healthcare. I know. That's... I know. I know I'm already sitting. I need to sit down. <laughs> I need to sit down more. That's a... Tr- oh my gosh, this country's a mess. I know. All right, so All right. do you want to tell me what you found? <laughs> yeah. So I mostly just did a lot of research about Trump's vacations and um, Mar-a-Lago right. visits and things like that. Great, make me angry. Um, so I'm going to ask you a trivia question. Oh, and that's how, how many times... the tables have turned. <laughs> how many times do you think Donald Trump tweeted complaining about Barack Obama playing too much golf? How many times? Yeah. I'm going to say 15. More. More? 30. Less. 25. More. 28? Less. 27? Yeah. <laughs> 27 times? 27 times. That hypocrite. I just like, I could go on for hours about how hypocritical he is, but I think we all know this, so like... He's a hypocrite, period. One of the ones that made me the most mad was that on May 21st, 2016, he tweeted, while our wonderful president was out playing golf all day, the TSA is falling apart, just like our government. Airports, a total disaster. Oh, I remember this one. Yeah, but the TSA was in shambles when the government was shut down for a month. I can't with this man. I, I just like... 
there is no excuse for his behavior. There just isn't. Like, if you are trying to make excuses for his racist, xenophobic, sexist behavior, then you are part of the problem. Mm -hmm. Even if you're like, well, I don't like his ideas. By endorsing him, you are saying that you are fine with him being a racist, probably a rapist. By By endorsing him, you are saying that you literally don't care about all those things. That is what you are saying. And it's just, it's disgusting. And he is a disgusting person. And he is running this country and he's running it into the ground. I agree with you 100%. All right. So tell me more. (laughs) All right. right, So on February 5th, the Washington Post um, published an article by journalist Philip Bump. February 5th this year? Yes, this year. Um, Although it should be noted that we're going to be talking about 2017 for a bit. Okay. Um, Basically, the Government Accountability Office, which I didn't know was a thing. I was happy to learn it is. Um, did a report on Trump's vacation spending, essentially. Right. Um, Where have they been? <laughs> I don't know. Um, and they basically couldn't get a lot of information because the Trump administration has basically like not complied with their requests to provide spending information. Of course they haven't. So the only like real numbers that they have are from four trips that he made to Mar-a-Lago in February of his first term. So in 2017, um, these four trips were February 3rd to February 6th, February 10th through the 12th, 17th through 20th, and March 3rd through 5th. So that's the first four weekends of Trump's presidency. He was in Mar-a-Lago. And (laughs) the total cost of those trips was estimated to be $14 million. Ah! In the first four weekends? In the first four weekends. Um, and they averaged the price between the four weeks, and that was $3.4 million per trip. So using that number, which is now kind of in all of the sources I found, considered like the average cost based on that statistic. Right. Um, and they multiplied it by the amount of trips that he took. So it was concluded in multiple articles that Trump has in 2017 I think um, spent 68 million dollars on just going to Mar-a-Lago 64 million forgive me all of our listeners please send me something you would rather spend 64 million dollars on send me a budget sixty thousand dollars of that was paid directly to Mar-a-Lago um, 24,000 of that is for lodging for the Defense Department personnel and 36,000 of that was for operation space used by the Department of Homeland Security. So essentially you a majority... You mean million? That doesn't add up to 64 million. No, that's only part of it. Oh. Um, 8.5 million of the total, um, 14 million, um, was spent by the Defense Department. Oh, this is that first weekend. This is the first four weekends. This is, yeah, the 14 million gotcha. out of that. And then 8.5 million was spent by the Defense Department and 5 million was spent by the Department of Homeland Security. So essentially, I think the biggest expenses for those trips is getting all of the Secret Service flown down to Mar-a-Lago on like private jets, um, having security boats patrolling um, the waters around Mar-a-Lago, Right. Um, renting rooms for everybody at the resort, 
renting spaces where they can set up their like surveillance equipment and having people set up to work there food for everybody general like living costs while they're all there right and there's a lot of like different moving parts that go into that so it's that's mostly what that money is spent on um and it says 64 million dollars that total amount is actually an underestimate because it assumes that all of the trips to mar-a-lago cost exactly the same amount as those three uh as those three-day trips oh um, yeah, yeah which a lot of trump's trips to mar-a-lago have been longer like one of them was 17 days what yeah um this is all again an estimation because the actual amount that administration members actually spent on travel dining and resort bookings is unknown right um also, it should be noted that to gain entrance to Mar-a-Lago, you need to have a membership, and that costs $200,000. What? You're kidding. No. So does he have to pay... Do, does the government have to pay for the Secret Service to have entrance there? Maybe. Or for every person that's going there? To... But the thing about it is... Every single person there is writing all this off as a government expense. Like, none of this money is coming out of their own pockets. It's coming out of taxpayer money. I hate this. Yeah. And the bulk of the money goes to transportation and protecting the president. The cost of military aircrafts and boats and hotel room and space booking uh, for security detail are the majority of it. Um, Do you ever think that maybe one day we'll wake up and it'll be 2016? <laughs> I, I suppose <laughs> And things will go a different way. I don't know. Uh, um, any other way. Any other way. Oh, I wrote that it should be noted that the Obama administration, um, in regards to trips to Chicago and West Palm Beach in 2013, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. This is for a totally different section. I'm sorry. All right. But one weekend during this first year, um, Trump hosted the prime minister of Japan, um, Shinzo Abe, in Mar-a-Lago. And the government accountability office assumed that that whole thing cost at least $14 million. The director of that office said that we could assume that the total cost is $13.6 million plus something else in reference to that trip. Because we had to fly the prime minister over, and then I'm sure Trump was like, spare no expense impressing this man. Because that's Trump's whole thing. It's just proving how rich he is. Right, but yet he serves, like, (laughs) the winner of the um, college football championships, McDonald's. Like, wait, I just, I don't understand how this is legal. I don't know. Um, Like, isn't the Office of Accountability supposed to be like, hey, like, this should be illegal? (laughs) Well, the thing is, apparently... The president shouldn't be allowed to do whatever they want and go on vacation wherever they want. Well, in the research that I did into where the, like, previous presidents have gone on vacation, it's usually, like, they go back to where they're from. Right. Um, So vacation is kind of, like, not just their time off when they're at home. Um, But apparently the Government Accountability Office um, just kind of has the right to begin a report on the president's spending in terms of these things whenever he wants. And they did a report on Clinton... Um, in which Clinton um, gave them all the information they needed. Right. He, their administration, like, went in for questioning, like, answered all the questions, and then submitted the paperwork. Um, they also reviewed Obama's spending, and Obama's administration, like, went in for the interviews, and then 
it says that they didn't submit the paperwork of how much the costs were, but I assume, like, they said they went in for the interview, so I assume they just believed them and just didn't require paperwork, which, I mean, maybe they should have double-checked, but I don't know. I'm trying not to be biased about... Yeah, no, that is odd. Um, Yeah, so Clinton's vacations, I think maybe they submitted the paperwork, especially because those trips were a lot of international trips. Right. Whereas Trump and Obama and George Bush, like, all of their vacations were... Within America. Um, George W. Bush went to Texas a lot. Right. (laughs) Which (laughs) apparently, like, at one point I read that they, a lot of people used to criticize George W. Bush because apparently he spent a lot of money on trimming his bushes on his private property. (laughs) And they were like, that's... Trump especially is, but Trump's administration has refused to come for the questioning. They've refused to submit the paperwork of the cost. Of course they have. And apparently the government accountability office has kind of called them out on this and said, like, listen, you need to be submitting like receipts to Congress. <laughs> um, receipts. And they've promised to do better in the future. Oh, get out of here. Which is like, what? Get out of here. Um, but also, okay, here's a couple of statistics about government, about presidential vacations. Um, Clinton um, had 41 vacations um, in, during his terms. In eight uh, years, okay. Yeah, um, which was a total of, this is a very large um, gap in between these numbers, but that was, this is Wikipedia again, um, <laughs> between 174 and 345 days. So I don't know exactly like why they can't land on a number there, but yeah. like, let's average 200 maybe. But they said that his total costs of vacation was 128 million total. Oh. Um, George W. Bush took 88 vacations, um, which totaled 1,020 days and cost 140 million dollars. Oh, those are and, so much cheaper. No, that's m- more. It's more, but a thousand. That means that cost per vacation oh. is there a thousand days. The cost of each individual vacation for him was so much cheaper. That makes me think that maybe he just went home and didn't like pay for golf courses or Right. Well he probably went to his house. Yeah, he probably and not just like fancy resort. Hung out in Texas. Um <laughs> meanwhile, trim in some bushes. I don't care about his bushes if they're gonna be that cheap. <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile, Obama only took twenty nine vacations, total of three hundred and twenty eight days, and he only spent ninety six million dollars, which is still a lot. But it's well, not per vacation, but yeah, but it's a it's less than the other two, and it's definitely less than Trump is going to have. Right, racked and if he's up going back to a presidency. city. Also, if he's going back to Chicago, there's yeah. more security entailed when going yeah. into a city like Chicago than it would be to Texas. Which also, I found this one article where Republicans were like ripping Obama to shreds just for like going to Martha's Vineyard a couple times with his family. I can't. <laughs> and again, I I know I'm I'm very biased, um, but. I just feel like there's a different, like Obama in all of the pictures in the articles was like going bike riding with his daughters his or like children. spending time with his family. Meanwhile, not that Trump, Trump is have a young son, golfing. but I doubt he's going out yeah. golfing with his 11 year old. I mean, not that Obama never golfed, but like right. he he's spending time with his family, whereas Trump like <laughs> seems like he's avoiding it. Right. <laughs> they like still live in New York. They don't anymore, but they did for a long time. Um... Uh, here's another statistic. Um, when Trump was 437 days into office, he had already spent 140 days at Trump properties, 
so Mar-a-Lago and other ones. He has one in Virginia. He has one in um, oh, everywhere in New Jersey. Um, 105 days were spent at golf properties owned by someone else. Um, and that doesn't even count the um, days where he was at the White House, where it was basically reported that he didn't do anything. Oh, my God. Um, which is estimated to be about 53 days. Um, and that's like on the low end. <laughs> about 53 days of doing nothing. <laughs> yeah, by the end of August 2017, he had spent 53 days where all or most of his day in the White House were spent on leisure time. So, okay, so how many days is that of doing actual work? That's 298 days out of 437 days what? where he's not doing anything. Where he's like not being the president. That's more days not working. Than I know. <laughs> but also Mar-a-Lago is not the majority of his vacation time. Of 218 days that Trump has spent on his properties, only 78 of those days were at Mar-a-Lago. Okay. But he does have other properties in Virginia and New Jersey, as I said before, that he spent a lot of time at. Right. Um, do you have a guess, by the way, of who, of which president took the longest vacation? Yeah, it's not someone you'd expect. It's not like a recent person. <laughs> than a recent person. When yeah. you say not recent, not in the 1900s? No. So there are the 1800s or earlier. Yeah. Um, Most vacation time. Abraham Lincoln. No. Is it like a famous person? Is it someone I can guess? Or is it like a kind of... Andrew Jackson. No. Uh, he was in Hamilton. I'll give you... Oh, he was in Hamilton. Yes. John Adams. He was a president in Hamilton. He was not a president. James Madison. Yes. Um, he spent... Really? Yeah. The longest vacation taken by any United States president was James Madison. Um, at the end of his presidency, he took a four-month-long vacation. <laughs> a big mood. <laughs> from sometime during June 1816 until sometime during October 1816. Good for him. <laughs> he was like, I'm done. And there were a lot of um, examples of presidents who like went to take care of a family member for a while. You're I right. guess it was more of... <laughs> The power wasn't solely relied on one person back then because it was a lot of the older presidents that were like, you guys got it, right? <laughs> <laughs> you got it. You can handle I'm it. I'm just a figurehead. Yeah, I got it. I got it. Oh, also, Trump um, compl- has complained on Twitter multiple times that the Mueller report um, he claimed was costing the government over $30 million, which, even if that were true, is still less than half of what he's spending on vacations. Oh in god. just 2017 um oh my god but in actuality they did the like cost analysis of it and like it cost around 25 million which again still a lot of money but not even close to the amount that he's spending on just avoiding his job <laughs> i this should be illegal i don't understand how it's not illegal if i don't show up for work for over 50 percent of the days I don't get to work there anymore. Why is that different for the leader of our government? So does that answer your question? (laughs) Sure, that answers my question. I feel like I did... See, when you phrased it this way this time, I was like, oh, I mean... I get... There must be some section of tax dollars that's like this percent goes to presidential presidential spending. Yeah, I mean, we have to pay his wages. Yeah. Apparently, the presidential salary is $400,000 a year. I did know that. I did know that. <laughs> With an additional expense, without, expense allowance of $50,000. Wow. I'll be president. <laughs> <laughs> Run. I'll vote for you. 
Oh, that's so nice of you. I would vote for you. Do you Aww. want to be my vice president? I would. Oh, I love that. I was about to say I'll be the, I'll be your Biden, but after this past week, I guess I shouldn't say. We that. can come up with a better. We can come up with a better duo. <laughs> <laughs> What's a non-toxic president vice president duo? I have. I don't know one. I literally can't name one. Like Biden and Obama are Cheney friendship goals, but yes, Obama's, yes. But Biden's just being problematic right now. Your unproblematic fave president, vice president duo. Oh yes, that. Oh, I'd love to be emailed that. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Find them. I'd love to hear about some like ones that we wouldn't even think of from yeah. like the eighteen hundreds. Like, right. <laughs> there was this one <laughs> list that someone shared. I it might have been on Buzzfeed, but I don't think it was that ranked all of the presidents in terms of hotness. Oh my god, it was on BuzzFeed. I did see that. And there was one president who was like number 26 that all of my friends thought was totally wronged. I'm going to text Jenna now because I don't remember who it was. I feel like it was like Coolidge or someone random. Like, like, We weren't saying like, oh, you should be number one, but we just thought, you don't deserve to be 26. You should be top 15 at least and it <laughs> bothered us for weeks that was a good hefty piece of information thank you for informing me you're welcome all right shall we move on to our reddit segment yes i love the thing i picked out this week Ooh. because i found this question on um the reddit thread too afraid to ask um but the question actually was more of a prompt for, she said she doesn't remember um anyway this question on the too afraid to ask thread is sort of a prompt for people to submit stories and i loved it and the prompt was what are some stories that sound like fiction but are actually real historical events Ooh, Mm -hmm. this is like fun going into my topic this week yeah and a lot of people submitted stories about crazy things that happened crazy figures from history and the first one it's kind of a wild ride, and I, I want to just read it to you. Great. Read it. All right. So this is the story of Daniel Inouye. Inouye? I-N-O-U-Y-E. He is a World War II veteran and later a senator of Hawaii. Oh. Um, and his story, I'm just literally quoting this post from Johnny Maggie. Um, says, his story reads like a bad, over-the-top action movie. Great. Yes. As soon as Japanese Americans were allowed to enlist... He dropped out of medical school and signed up. Within a year, he became a sergeant and headed a platoon, getting deployed in the Italian campaign. In the battle to save the lost brigade, he was shot directly above the heart, but his life was saved by a silver dollar kept in his pocket. You're kidding. Nope. He was promoted to lieutenant, the youngest officer in the regiment. And then, in the battle of San Terenzo, he led from the front. As he led his platoon in a flanking maneuver, three German machine guns opened fire from covered positions 40 yards away, pinning his men to the ground. Inouye stood up to attack and was shot in the stomach. Ignoring his wound, he proceeded to attack and destroy the first machine gun nest with hand grenades and his Thompson machine gun, his Thompson submachine gun. When informed of the severity of his wound, he refused treatment and rallied his men for an attack on the second machine gun position, which he successfully destroyed before collapsing from blood loss. He stood back up. What? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I have, like, chills right now. (laughs) 
It's going to get worse. Also, this is going to get kind of gory, and I apologize, but I think you all need to hear about this. No, it's fine. I'm, like, a little tipsy, so I, like, have goosebumps, so I'm also, like, (laughs) swaying a little bit. Oh, my goodness. All right. So as his squad distracted the third machine gunner, Lieutenant Inouye crawled toward the final bunker, coming within 10 yards. As he raised himself on his left elbow and cocked his right arm to throw his last grenade, a German soldier saw him and fired a 30-millimeter... Scheisbecker anti-personal rifle grenade from inside the bunker, <gasps> which struck Inouye directly on his right elbow. The high, oh. <laughs> the high explosive grenade failed to detonate, saving Lieutenant Inouye from instant death, but amputating most of his right arm at the elbow, except, this is where it gets gross, except for a few tendons and a flap of skin. <gasps> via blunt force trauma. Despite this gruesome injury, Lieutenant Inouye was saved again from likely death due to the blunt, low-velocity grenade tearing the nerves in his arm unevenly and incompletely, which which involuntarily squeezed the grenade tightly via a reflex in his hand, (gasps) um, via a reflex arc, instead of going limp and dropping it at Inouye's feet. However... This still left him crippled, in terrible pain, and under fire with minimal cover, and staring at a live grenade, quote-unquote, clenched in a fist that suddenly didn't belong to me anymore. (gasps) Oh my god! (laughs) This is crazy! Inouye's horrified soldiers moved to his aid, but he shouted for them to keep back out of fear that his severed fist would involuntarily relax and drop the grenade. As the German inside the bunker began to began hastily re- reloading his rifle uh, with regular full metal jacket ammunition, replacing the wood-tipped rounds used to propel rifle grenades, Inouye quickly pried the live hand grenade from his useless right hand and transferred it to his left. The German soldier had just finished reloading and was aiming his rifle to finish him off when Lieutenant Inouye threw his grenade through the narrow firing slit, killing the German stumbling to his feet with the remnants of his right arm hanging grotesquely at his side and his Thompson in his offhand braced against his hip. Lieutenant Inouye continued forward, killing at least one more German before suffering his fifth and final wound of the day in his left leg, which finally halted his one-man assault for good and sent him tumbling unconscious to the bottom of a ridge. He awoke to to see the worried men of his platoon hovering over him. His only comment before being carried away was to gruffly order them back to their positions, saying, Nobody called off the war. (laughs) I'm, like, my head is spinning at a million miles per hour right now. I cannot believe this. And apparently, like, he lived on to be, like, interviewed in documentaries about Pearl Harbor and, like... And he went on to be a senator? Yes! Like, he went on to have a long life after that. But it's like, wow, he had a couple rough days. (laughs) Oh? Oh, and this comment says he was a total badass American. I saw a documentary about Pearl Harbor, um, and Inouye was interviewed. Because he had Japanese ancestry, he could not directly enlist in the army. He was a medical volunteer when he saw the attack, and he recalled muttering to himself, those goddamn Japs. And he enlisted after 1943 and led a segregated regiment of Japanese Americans, mostly from Hawaii. Oh, and was still a hero. Which, forgive me for the 
comment. That was a quote from a man in 1943 right after Pearl Harbor. I... <laughs> yes, we understood. I would, I would it was never... a quote. I know. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. It's a quote. I know you would never. Oh my goodness! I'm like these like took that like took my breath away. I'm I'm absolutely he stood back up. That's the part where I was like, <gasps> what? <laughs> I want to write a play about this man called "He Stood Back Up." Yeah. That like ha- that like sentence will haunt me. He stood back up. Oh my god! And everyone's that's like, like the never le- nevertheless she persisted of the World War Two. <laughs> Just oh everyone God. yelling at him like, "You, dude, you've been shot so many times," and he's like, "I don't care. Oh my God. I must kill the Germans." Wow. Wow. Okay. <laughs> All right. Ready to hear about some exploding airships? Oh yeah. <laughs> All right, Jane. So last week you asked me about the Hindenburg, and I was really surprised because that seemed like a totally <laughs> random thing to ask me about. I was like, I mean, sure. Like I love covering history, but why? And I didn't realize. I said, like, oh, wow, like, you know, I've done two weeks of a conspiracy. It'll be cool to go back to history. Turns out there is some conspiracy here, too. So oh, good. We just are living in a conspiracy world. I'm just going to straight up admit that most of this content is from Wikipedia. Oh, I didn't I really paraphrase it. Only a little bit of my information for my segment was from Wikipedia, but I have used them. Yeah. No, this is pretty much all from Wikipedia. I had to look up a couple definitions from other places. Okay, are you ready for a bit of a doozy? I am. All right, I have a lot of information. So yours was short, but mine's not going to be. So buckle up. Here we go. Well, mine was so long last week. Right. So buckle up. So many of you know the Hindenburg was a German airship that caught fire and was destroyed while trying to land in Lakehurst, New Jersey on May 6th, 1937. I didn't realize it was in New Jersey. I've always thought it was in Europe. Same. It was a German airship, but it was New Jersey. That this if happened. I'm being honest, a lot of what I thought I knew about the Hindenburg, I'm now realizing it comes from that one scene in Indiana Jones where he's on a blimp and it goes down. That's not what? the Hindenburg. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that just... I love Indiana Jones a lot, but like... What? I just realized I'm basing all of the knowledge I thought I had. I was talking to my coworker. They all listened, so I won't say which one it was. One of my coworkers was like, wasn't there a baby that went missing? And I was like, what? That was the Lindbergh baby? The Lindbergh baby. (laughs) Oh, I'm putting that on the list of things I want to talk about. (laughs) That is a story. It is a story. It's a crazy story. It's a good story. But she thought that was related to the Hindenburg. And I, for a second, was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I was like, wait, no, that's the Lindbergh baby. Also Who New Jersey. Who is related to the pilot, Lindbergh? So, personal fun fact, or a fun fact that relates to me personally, more like. There is a famous radio broadcast of the broadcaster's live reaction to seeing the Hindenburg explode <gasps> that ends with the phrase, oh, the humanity, which <gasps> has become a popular phrase of oh exasperation. Oh, directed that play. Yeah, and it's the tit- inspired the title of Willino's Oh, the Humanity, which I directed our senior year at Muhlenberg. So I have a personal <laughs> connection to the Hindenburg in that way. Um, yeah, so that's that popular phrase. Like you'll hear people say, oh, the humanity that comes from that, that radio broadcast. I feel like in my head, I thought of that being in the War of the Worlds radio broadcast, but I guess it came yeah, from, it. from the Hindenburg. Yeah. yeah, it's a Hindenburg reference. So airships, which is what the Hindenburg was. It was not a blimp. It was an airship. Um, were huge balloon crafts that gained their own lift from gas bags within the aircraft. 
So kind of like hot air balloons, they are they are powered themselves by gas within that allow them to like rise oh. and fall, um, which is different than blimps. Not sure how. <laughs> um, I think blimps are use the wind, but this has nothing to do with wind, air velocity, nothing like that. All gas. Yeah, blimps have propellers. And blimps have propellers. These do not have propellers. All gas. <laughs> they were hugely popular like for passenger men. travel in between World War One and World War Two, known as the interwar period, in Germany, Britain, and the United States. Now remember, it's important to remember the Hindenburg was a German airship. The Hindenburg was the fastest transatlantic vessel at the time, and the stewardess of the Hindenburg was the world's first flight attendant. Look at her go. Good for her. The Hindenburg, you asked why the Hindenburg was super, was so important. The Hindenburg marked the end of the airship era. Airships after that were not ever used again for passenger flights um, and pretty much like went out of commission following the Hindenburg crash. I wonder who's going to be the next big airline thing now that Boeing is going downhill. I know. Who knows? <laughs> the new Boeing. So in 1937, the Hindenburg was scheduled to complete 10 round-trip flights between Europe and the United States after completing one round-trip flight to Brazil in March. On May 3rd, 1937, the Hindenburg departed from Frankfurt, Germany for the first of its round-trip flights at only half capacity for Lakehurst, New Jersey, preparing to return to Germany at full capacity. And many of the people that were flying back to Germany were planning on going to the coronation of King George VI the following week. Oh. It's right at that time. Why Why New Jersey? Why not like... It's close to New York. Well, why not like New York? Well, where are you going to land an airship in New York City? I don't know, JFK. <laughs> I don't know if JFK was like a thing yet. Like it was 1937. Well, like there's, I know, but there was a large airfield. If there field. was room to make JFK, then there was room to land a airship. I don't know. There was a large airfield. I read something that like the Hindenburg was supposed to shuttle some passengers to Newark to that because that airport already existed. Oh. Or like maybe that was why it was in Lakehurst, so people who flew into Newark could get over to that more station because it was called a mooring station all of this have like ship terminology because it was an airship so on early may 6th the hindenburg crossed over boston hours behind schedule as it neared new jersey captain max press was advised of poor weather conditions and rerouted the hindenburg to fly over manhattan which caused a public spectacle and i'm going to text you a picture of what that looked like because it's crazy also this seeing this picture was the moment i realized that this was a nazi vest vessel <gasps> at this point hitler had gained control and at the time the hindenburg was a nazi vessel which i just want to say like there are swastikas oh. on the hindenburg oh no yeah i never realized that no not a... again indiana jones <laughs> <laughs> everything i know i mean has come from i indiana mean indiana jones. jones fought nazis he did fight the nazis so you know points for accuracy Oh my god. Do, do. Quit texting when I'm trying to tell you stuff. I'm honestly not texting. I know. I'm still. kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> You're texting right now. I'm texting you. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you quit texting. <laughs> you quit texting. <laughs> okay. I just oh, I was just you. like, I got a text. But it was from you. <laughs> wow. So that's the Hindenburg <gasps> flying over yeah, Manhattan, which the is swastika. crazy. And apparently people like, 
rushed out to see it, which is wild because literally hours later it went down. This was like four o'clock on May 6th. Hindenburg crashed at 425 or it's 725. So this is about three hours before it blew up. So Captain Max Press was notified at 622 that the weather had cleared and he made his way towards Lakehurst, set to land almost half a day late. So he was almost 12 hours behind schedule. Normally, when an airship landed, the public was permitted to go on board and look around, but since the late landing left the Hindenburg little time to prepare for its return journey, the public was notified that it would not be open for viewing. So that was like Mm. a fancy thing that people could do back then. Okay, here's a timeline, and get ready for a lot of ship words that I have been prepared to translate. My raised-in-a-harbor-town brain is trying to be ready. All All right. Hit me with some 7 p.m. The Hindenburg made its final approach to Lakehurst to do a high landing. A high landing is when an airship drops its ropes and mooring cables from a high altitude and is inched down to the moor. <gasps> Fascinating. This requires less people on the ground, but it takes longer. The Hindenburg had only done this a couple of times before and only in America. This was not something that it practiced in its flights in Europe and in Germany. Wait, so how did it land in Europe? This is whatever the other type of landing is. It's like it's it's a, a probably a low landing. Someone just reached a needle up to the top of it and popped it. No, it probably was a lower landing. So they let let uh, pressure out. The airship got lower, mm-hmm. and then more people on the ground roped it down. What's the name of that stand-up comedian who does the bit about mail? Because he also does a bit about how hot air ballooning. Like, you'd think they'd have a system of landing, but it's literally just like they let gas out of the thing. Oh, and is you that fall Ryan Hamilton? Yes. <laughs> he was like, there's no way of... You just fall. Yeah, you just fall. Yep. Like. <laughs> you fall slowly, but you fall. <laughs> At 7.09, the airship made a sharp, full-speed left turn to the west around the landing field because the ground crew was not ready. So they're stalling. They're circling. Mm. At 7.11, it turned back toward the landing field and valved the gas, meaning it was descending. All engines idled ahead, and the airship began to slow. So instead of propelling, they just kind of let it, let it start to fall down, and it slowed down. Captain Press ordered aft, which is the tail, engines full astern, meaning backwards, mm-hmm. at 714 while at an altitude of 394 feet to try to break the airship. So he's trying to get it to stop right over where it's going to be okay. by pulling it backwards. At 7.17, the wind shifted direction from (gasps) east to southwest, and Captain Press ordered a second sharp turn starboard, making an S-shaped flight path towards the mooring mast. At 7.18, as the final turn progressed, Press ordered 300 and 500 kilograms of water ballast in successive drops because the airship was stern heavy, so they're releasing water, essentially. Um, from the stern side because it's starting to tilt. The forward, so the front, gas cells were also valved, meaning they were released. Um, As these measured failed to bring the ship in trim, which means it was balanced, so you can imagine that it's teetering in the air. It's starting to wobble, which you don't want. Six men, three of whom were killed in the following accident, were then sent to the bow, the front, to trim or balance the airship. Do you understand what's happening? Yeah. Okay. I think so. They're just like trying to like wait and counterweight. And yeah, lots of counterweighting. Keeping it balanced. Yeah, trying to keep it in balance, trying to get it right over that sweet spot where they're supposed to land because that's where the ground men are and they have to drop the ropes and then be pulled down. At 721, while the Hindenburg was at an altitude of 295 feet, 
the mooring lines were dropped from the bow. The starboard line was dropped first, followed by the port line. The port line was over-tightened as it was connected to the post of the ground winch. So port line is pulling more to one side than the other, not what we want. The starboard line had still not been connected and a light rain began to fall as the ground crew <laughs> grabbed the mooring lines. At 7.25 local time, the Hindenburg caught fire and quickly became engulfed in flames. A few witnesses saw the fabric ahead of the upper fin flutter as if gas were leaking. Others reported seeing a dim blue flame, possibly static electricity or St. Elmo's fire. Do you know what that is? No. St. Elmo's fire. I thought this was like just a phrase. Like, it's well, I mean, it's thing. the name of that movie, which I've never seen, so I assumed it was explained in it's the like movie. It's like a lyric in a musical somewhere. St. Elmo's fire is a bright blue or violet glow appearing like fire in some circumstances from tall, sharply pointed structures such as lightning rods, masts, spires, and chimneys and on aircraft wings or nose cones. So it's just like light and electricity flowing off of things that jut out really far. That oh. appears that it's on fire when really it's just electricity. Um, so this was... This was seen moments before the fire on top and in the back of the ship near the point near the point where they saw the flame, like where they saw these potential flames first appeared. So all this was happening at the same time. Several other eyewitnesses suggested that the first flame appeared on the port side just ahead of the port fin and was followed by flames which burned on top. So there's some misunderstanding and disagreement about where the fire started and who saw it first based off of eyewitnesses on the ground. Commander Rosendahl testified to the flames in front of the upper fin being mushroom shaped. Do you know what the significance of a mushroom cloud is? Like a bomb being dropped? Okay, yeah. So the mushroom cloud is important. The mushroom shaped flame is important because of hydrogen and that's going to be a huge like contesting point over what caused okay. the Hindenburg later. So remember that, that he said it was mushroom shaped. Okay. One witness on the starboard side, remember there are people on the ship, not just crewmen, there are passengers. One witness on the starboard side reported a fire beginning lower and behind the rudder on that side. On board, people heard a muffled detonation and those in the front of the ship felt a shock as the port trail as the port trail rope over tightened. The officers in the control car initially thought the shock was caused by a broken rope. Inside the airship, helmsman Helmut Lau, who was stationed in the lower fin, testified hearing a muffled detonation and looked up to see a bright reflection on the front of bulkhead gas cell four, which suddenly disappeared by the heat. So one moment it was a gas chamber, the next moment like a canister, and the next moment it was literally just gone. Um, as other gas cells started to catch fire, the fire spread more to the starboard side and the ship dropped rapidly. Although there were cameramen as well as numerous photographers at the scene, no known footage or photograph exists of the moment the fire started. The fire quickly spread forward, first consuming cells one to nine, and the rear end of the structure imploded. Do you know how ship cells work? Not really. Okay, so I know this because of the Titanic at me. In ships, there are cells underneath which contain buoy systems. Um, so in ships in the ocean, that's where the, the coal would be mined. Okay. It's like separate chambers, yes. right, that fuel each individual thing. That also works as a balancing system for the ships. One of the reasons the Titanic sank was because water flooded in too many of those cells. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing for airships, except instead of coal, it's gas. Okay. 
So they're saying gas cells one through nine. There's probably only, I think there's only nine or 10 in the whole ship. Um, consume, it consumed the entire ship and the rear end of the structure imploded. And almost instantly, two tanks, unsure whether or not they contained water or fuel, burst out of the hull as a result of the shock of the blast. Buoyancy was lost on the stern, the back of the ship, and the bow lurched upward, so it's tilting backwards and up, Mm -hmm. opposite of a nosedive, um, while the ship's back broke and the falling stern stayed in trim. So it tilts upward, nose in the air, the Mm -hmm. back drops off, falls in balance, and falls straight down onto the ground i have a photo is that the the part the people were in what is that the part the people were in? i don't know where on the ship the people were like it's it's all it's all scary so in this you can see in the photo that i'm sending you now you can see that this is like the back has caught on fire and it's about to break off and fall down get ready this wow this episode's kind of a downer (laughs) it's a bit of a downer okay got your text got your text got your text I'm like that friend that's at a party and you're trying to discreetly text them and they're like, oh, hey, I got a text from you. <laughs> you are that friend. <laughs> oh, no. I'm looking at the picture. Yeah. <gasps> that's so scary. Isn't it terrifying? It looks terrifying. This last photo is the worst. As oh. the tail of the Hindenburg crashed into the ground, a burst of flame came out of the nose. And it literally looks like an angry narwhal. Like, I'm just going to say it. <laughs> a burst of flame came out of the nose, killing nine of the 12 crew members in the bow. So very few people in the bow survived. There was still gas in the bow section of the ship, so it continued to point upward as the stern collapsed down. The cell behind the passenger jacks ignited as the side collapsed inward, and the scarlet lettering reading Hindenburg was erased by the flames as the bow descended. Oh. The airship's gondola wheel touched the ground, causing the bow to bounce up slightly as one final gas cell burned away, so it literally hit the ground and bounced back up, which was <gasps> so scary. At this point, most of the fabric on the hull had also burned away, and the bow finally crashed the ground. Although the hydrogen had finished burning the hindenburg diesel fuel burned for several more hours it's so scary and you can see people on the ground right next to it (gasps) isn't that horrific oh my and imagine that that hit the ground and then bounced back up well i don't like that at all all right are you ready for the craziest part yeah, the time that it took from the first signs of disaster, first sight of any sort of fire or something wrong, to the bow crashing to the ground is often reported as 32, 34, or 37 seconds. Since none of the newsreel cameras were filming the airship when the fire started, the time of the start can only be estimated from various eyewitness accounts and the duration of the longest footage of the crash. And one group one like reporter has even reported that it took more like 15 seconds for all of this to happen it's like they were just watching it land they were having some wind troubles and then 15 seconds went by and it was down yeah like it's almost some spontaneous combustion how it happened so fast that piece fell off it fell down the nose like the nose hit the ground bounced back up the bow crashed like just crazy so part of the reason this is such a famous disaster is because it was well documented because there was many news crews that were on mm-hmm. site at the time of the airship exploding because it was the most famous airship of the time and it was the first round trip from Europe to the US. Um, in the days after the disaster, an official board of inquiry was set up at Lakehurst to investigate the cause of the fire. Many of the crew members and passengers survived, but the majority of them were severely burned the rest of their lives. Of the 30, 36 passengers and 61 crewmen, 
13 passengers, one groundsman, and 22 aircrewmen died. The majority of the victims were burnt to death, while others died. This, this, this gets me. When others died jumping from the airship at an excessive height or as a consequence of either smoke inhalation or falling debris. Oh. The rest died in the hours after the crash as a consequence of the burns. Oh. Just jumping out. I hate that. Yeah. The majority of the crewmen who died were up in the ship's hull where they either did not have a clear escape route or else were too close to the bow of the ship, which hung burning in the air for too long for most of them to escape death. Most of the crew in the bow died in the fire, although at least one was filmed falling from the bow to his death. Most of the passengers who died were trapped in the starboard side of the passenger deck. By contrast, all but a few of the passengers on the port side of the ship survived the fire, with some of them escaping virtually unscathed. Um, this is just like a crazy story about someone who survived. Passenger Joseph Spa, a vaudeville comic acrobat, saw the first sign of trouble. Or when he saw the first sign of trouble, he smashed the window with his movie camera with which he had been filming the landing. And that film survived the disaster. Um, as the ship neared the ground, he lowered himself out of the window and <laughs> hung onto the window's ledge, letting go when the ship was perhaps 20 feet above the ground. So that whole dip down, he just clocked it and dropped. Um, his acrobat's instincts kicked in, according to Wikipedia, and Spa kept his feet under him and attempted to do a safety roll when he landed. He injured his ankle nonetheless and was dazedly crawling away when a member of the ground crew came up, slung the diminutive Spa under one arm, and ran him clear of the fire. So he survived literally just by being an acrobat. Can you imagine? In that 30 seconds, the instinct to throw yourself out of window, window hang on. You're like... Yeah. I can't imagine. So the cause of the crash is unknown, but there are a few hypotheses. And this is where conspiracy comes in. Some believe that the Hindenburg was sabotaged by an inside man. This theory was pu- was put forth by Hugo Eckner, the CEO of the Zeppelin company. So airships mm-hmm. were like Zeppelins. He claimed that threatening letters had been received by the crew. The commander, Mac- Captain Max Press, also thought sabotage to be likely the cause of the explosion because he had flown many Zeppelins and every voyage of the Hindenburg and refused to believe there was anything wrong with the vessel after so many safe passages. So he, had, he essentially was like, wasn't me. Had to be another guy. Ah. Um, he refused to believe there was anything wrong with the ship. Within the sabotage theory, most of the crew members believed none of them could have committed such an act, and that if it was sabotage, it had to have been by a passenger. In 1962, A.A. Holing published Who Destroyed the Hindenburg, in which he rejected all theories but sabotage, and named a crew member as the suspect. Eric Spell, a rigger on the Hindenburg who died in the fire, was named as the saboteur. Ten years later, Michael McDonald Mooney's book, The Hindenburg, which was based heavily on holing sabotage th- hypothesis, also identified Spell as the saboteur. And Mooney's book was made into the movie The Hindenburg in 1977. Mm-hmm. Um, this was the reason that holing and eventually Michael McDonald Mooney said that Spelling was probably the saboteur. Um, Spell's girlfriend had communist beliefs and anti-Nazi connections, which, remember, this was a Nazi vessel. Mm -hmm. The fire's origin was near the catwalk running through Gas Cell 4, which was an area of the ship generally off-limits to anyone other than Spell and his fellow riggers. Holing said that Chief Steward Heinrich Kubis told the Chief Rigger Ludwig Knorr 
that he noticed damage in cell four, Spell's cell, shortly before the disaster. Um, the Gestapo supposedly investigated Spell's possible involvement oh. in 1938. Spell's interest in amateur photography um, made him familiar with flashbulbs that could have served as an igniter. Oh. Another piece of evidence was the discovery by representatives of the NYPD bomb squad of a substance that was later determined likely to be the insoluble residue from the depolarizing element of a small dry battery um, that could have powered such a flashbulb. The FBI discovered a yellow substance on the valve cap of the airship between cells four and five where the fire was first reported. Um, although this was initially suspe suspected to be sulfur, which can ignite hydrogen, it was later determined that the residue was actually from a fire extinguisher. Okay. So originally they thought it was an igniter, but then that was kind of disproved. Some had claimed to see a flash or a bright reflection in gas cell four. Um, and it had also been suggested that Hitler himself ordered the Hindenburg's explosion as, as a punishment to Hugo Eckner for making anti-Nazi comments himself. I feel like, I mean, not putting it past Hitler, because, you know, awful, but I feel like there are easier ways for him to, like, get, get rid back of a at person. A guy. Yeah. Well, he wasn't trying to get rid of him. He was trying to punish him. But I feel like, oh, no, I guess that does kind of make nazis a martyr in a way if you attack a, a ship with not with swastikas on it right it paints them as victims right others outside the sabotage theory believe that the explosion was caused by a buildup in static electricity so the hindenburg had passed through a weather front of high humidity and high electrical charge on their way to to Lakehurst. Although the mooring lines were not wet when they first hit the ground and the ignition took place four minutes after the mooring lines hit the ground, Eckner theorized that they may have become wet in these four minutes because it was raining at the time. When the ropes, which were connected to the frame, became wet, they would have grounded the frame but not the skin of the airship. This would have caused a sudden potential difference between skin and frame, so outer airship, frame yeah. of the airship. Um, and would have set off an electrical discharge or a spark. Um, seeking the quickest way to ground, the spark would have jumped from the skin onto the metal framework, igniting the leaking hydrogen. So the spike, the, the static electricity theory is dependent on the fact that there was hydrogen leaking within the Hindenburg, which is true because the gas valves were on yeah. when this happened. It all depends on leaking hydrogen. Okay. Um, another theory, which is the incendiary paint theory, posits that the explosion would have happened even if the ship was powered by helium, not hydrogen. And it's not a hydrogen-reliant theory. Um, and this was determined, this theory was determined by NASA hydrogen expert Addison Bain, um, who very famously, he went to visit the Hindenburg's like crash site and there was like a model um, and there was, it used to have a plaque on it that said it was all because of hydrogen or no, the plaque said it's hydrogen exploded and he went into this whole research thing because he was like hydrogen does not explode i don't exactly know how hydrogen doesn't explode but it's like that's not a property of of i need to retake high school chemistry yeah um it's not a property of gaseous hydrogen that it explodes very important so that's why he was like it couldn't have possibly have been because of leaking hydrogen so he came up with this incendiary paint theory um, and he spent many years of his career researching the cause of the Hindenburg disaster and the in, his incendiary paint theory 
asserts that the major component in starting the fire and feeding its spread was the canvas skin because of the compound used on it. So essentially, like, you know how spray mm-hmm. paint? He was like, it was like spray paint. Um, the TV show Mythbusters <laughs> explored the incendiary paint hypothesis and their findings indicated that the aluminum, I almost said aluminum, <laughs> the aluminum Ooh, and aluminum. iron oxide ratios in the, high, in the Hindenburg skin, while certainly flammable, were not enough on their own to destroy the Zeppelin. So they kind okay. of tried to debunk it. A.J. Dessler, the former director of the Space Science Laboratory at NASA's Marshall Space Flight Center and a critic of the incendiary paint hypothesis, favors a much simpler explanation for the conflagration. Lightning. Is that how you say that? Conflagration? Yeah. Conflagration? I've never heard that word. It's like the disaster. I don't know. I don't know. Um, he has a simpler explanation. <laughs> like many other aircrafts, the Hindenburg had been struck by lightning several times in its years of operation. This does not normally ignite a fire in hydrogen-filled airships due to lack of oxygen. However, the airship fires have been observed when lightning strikes the vehicle as it vents hydrogen as ballast in preparation for landing. The vented hydrogen mixes with the oxygen of the atmosphere creating a a combustible mixture. The Hindenburg was venting hydrogen at the time of the disaster. So he was like it was lightning mixed with hydrogen mixed with oxygen and it all exploded. But no one really saw any lightning at the time. Mm. And those are all the theories. I did Google conflagration. Okay, wait, what does it mean? It just means an extensive fire, which destroys a great deal of land or property. Oh, so it's not even a disaster. It's specifically fire. Yeah. Cool. So that's pretty much it. No one knows what caused the explosion, and we might never know, but that is the legacy of the Hindenburg. Jeez. Yeah. This terrible, terrible disaster on a Nazi ship, which, like, I don't know how to feel about that. Was it because there were so many, like witnesses and news people around at the time that it sort of became oh a yeah cultural like it was, thing that was talked about many people saw it it's like the challenger you know yeah so many people were watching that yeah that's why it has such a legacy mm-hmm. yeah it's very sad didn't know it was a nazi ship how didn't many know it was in new jersey people do we know how many people on board were americans versus how many were no i have no idea european or even specifically nazis no, we have no idea. We all the crew. They were Germans. Uh. <laughs> Everything is complicated. So that is our very depressing episode. I'm trying to think of something like funny to say, but also like not be insulting towards. I'm trying to give it the brevity. It does not the opposite of brevity. Yeah, bring some brevity to it, but give it the like weight it deserves. Right. Well. Yeah, these disasters happen. People aren't perfect. No technology will ever be perfect. Hubris is what gets the best of us <laughs> in these disasters. One day I'll talk about the Titanic and whoo! <laughs> Let me tell you. Uh, All right. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at YKWIBW Podcast. You can check out our website, I've been wondering.com, where I'll be posting some pictures of the Hindenburg um, to really get you feeling unsettled about your day it's not they're not great they don't you they're not gonna they're not gonna spark joy yeah they will not <laughs> spark get out of here oh no i didn't mean to do it no that's not 
that was awful. I was trying to make a Marie Kondo reference. No, I loved it. <laughs> they're oh, going to spark something, but it ain't joy. <laughs> oh. Oh. oh, yeah. That's the Oof. taste in your mouth. It's not All right. Enough. If you like what you're listening to, you can consider donating to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast, where we will give you a slew of exciting benefits for becoming a donor that are much more exciting than hearing us talking about depressing stuff. I want to use my Hufflepuff stamp. (laughs) (laughs) Let me give you some wax seals on something. (laughs) What else? Oh, if you have something that you've been wondering, please email us. I've been wondering podcast at gmail.com. Tell us what you're thinking about. Tell us what you want to know. We want to we want to tell you what you want to know, not just what we want to know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> thought you were going to say more. <laughs> um, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much everywhere you get your podcasts. And finally, if you like what you're hearing, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. It means a whole, whole lot to us. Um, it really helps us get out there, get more people to listen to us. It, it really means the world. Special thanks. Special thanks to uh, Sarah Weisman, my, my co-worker slash boss is listening. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Sarah. My director. <laughs> thank you, Sarah, for listening. Okay. Jane. <laughs> Do you know what I've been wondering? <laughs> Is that our theme song? Yes. Okay. Oh, <laughs> Can you do the beatboxing? Oh, yeah, yeah. Why are you going to do it? No. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> I can't do it again. <laughs> Let me, uh, give me a week next episode. Okay, I'll next have... episode, you're going to beatbox our opening. Okay. Do you know what I've been wondering? <laughs> what have you been wondering, Sarah? You're gonna. I decided that I wanted to give you one that I knew you would want to cover because I gave you one that I was like, this is a mean one because I made you research Trump. No, it's okay. But you get mad, and I want to get back to some fun stuff. I know that you already know a lot about this. I want you to tell me about the original Arthurian legend. <gasps> I'm such a nerd over this time. I know, and I don't really know the original one. Because I watched Merlin. (laughs) That's based on a lot of history. Oh, she's freaking out. She's wobbling. And I want you to tell me more about about King Arthur building Stonehenge or Merlin building Stonehenge. I need more on that. (laughs) Great, 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 great. Yeah, he did that. It's it's fact. (laughs) Oh, those be facts? Yeah. (laughs) Um, This is also a gift. Oh, a gift. We're so generous. (laughs) I, because I know you already also know about a lot about this. Ooh. And I'd love to let you just, like, talk about your passions. That's so nice. I'm having crazy deja vu right now. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, it's still going on. Oh, no, 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 no. Do okay. something I would never do. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Goes to the fridge, throws away Ice cream. No. <laughs> Dumps my wine out. <laughs> okay. I want you to tell me about the Trojan War. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Jane, I just read so many books about the Trojan War. I'm freaking out. Good, good, good. You can tell me. About- <gasps> I should get the next book in the art. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh my god, next week, so here's here's a preview. Next week we're gonna re- be recording in my hometown. <gasps> we are! I'm <Yeah>. sorry. <laughs> Jane and I are going on a road trip. We're going to Pennsylvania, so we're gonna be recording in my hometown, and my mom is just gonna be like, you're just freaking out. Oh my goodness. I love her very much. Oh my god, so next week we're diving into some ancient mythological history. I'm so excited! I'm like freaking out right now. Ah! Next week's episode is going to be like three hours long. I'm doing like bicycle kicks. You are! You're shaking the table. Oh my god. I need to relax my whole I have to go read the Penelope ad right now. I need to get the next book in my Martha... I was say Martha right. Stewart. Mary we got Stewart. research to do. Bye, right. everybody. Thank you for listening. This is You Know What I've Been Wondering. <laughs>